0: I'm Alexis Dion. And I'm Chelsea. And we're the co-hosts of High Priority, a podcast where we ask industry experts the tough questions about the past, present, and future of the cannabis industry. I am recording. Yes. Hi, Chelsea. We are back for another (laughs) beautiful, amazing episode of High Priority um i'm alexis you're in such a great mood is it spring or something you know it's just kind of one of those days where you're just like you just kind of reflect on all the the blessings that you've had and you just want to focus on positivity and i'm just a ray of positivity right now so you're feeling
1: too blessed to be stressed today there you go namaste namaste so for you (laughs) I want to get to where you are. Um, but yes, I am really excited about today's episode because we're interviewing a very prominent figure in the Asian American cannabis business community, Mm -hmm. Ophelia Chong, who I've like known about for the past few years, like through Rosie. Um, Mm -hmm. like she has an organization called Asian Americans for Cannabis Education and they profile a lot of like, um, executives like key figures within the cannabis industry that are also you know so happen to be Mm api and i um was invited to one of ophelia's like networking events a few weeks ago in la called potluck club love it and it was really cool um it was like Probably the first time I had been in a room with so many Asian Americans at one time, first of all. So that was already jarring <laughs> to not be a minority. And also just to see like the breadth of representation across like the cannabis industry. Like I met investors who were Asian. I met like obviously brand owners, like mm-hmm. people who work on the ancillary side. Like it was just really cool because I always felt like. Especially at you know industry events like MJ BizCon, like I always felt like, oh, there aren't a lot of us. Right. Like I'm in the minority, but like that's like not true. It was very empowering and encouraging to see that firsthand. No, that's pretty dope. I mean, the fact that
0: we even like have events like this that cater to a particular like cultural group is amazing. Because like you know, I went to Black Canacon in NOLA mm-hmm. um, back in November, and that was. I'm pretty sure we pretty much had like the same experience where we're like, wow, we're one of many, but we don't get to see each Mm -hmm. other, I guess, uh, more, we don't readily get to see each other as much when we go to these bigger conferences like the MJ BizCon. So
1: yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. And it was, it was also very encouraging to just see so many Asian Americans like out and proud about what they work in because like. Because cannabis is still so taboo in a lot of Asian families and cultures. So, like, I mean, just think about the fact that no Asian country has legalized recreational use of cannabis yet. None. That's crazy. And obviously, that has a ripple effect through a lot of generations Um My parents, like, were not – I didn't even tell my mom when I first got this job. I think I just told my dad. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, don't get arrested. It's legal, right? (laughs) I'm like, I'm not – I'm like, it's – I'm not touching the plant. It's fine. I'm just doing the PR. He's like, all right, just – I, Be careful. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. But, um, so obviously, like, they weren't like thrilled, and I don't think they told any of their friends. But now mm. my parents are all like, my daughter works in cannabis, and like, she knows all about this stuff because they know how much money the industry is. Exactly. Dollars and they live in Oregon. Talk. And my mom, I I think one time I drove around with my mom, and I was like, "That's a dispensary, that's a dispensary, that's a dispensary." She's like, "Wait, that's what the leaf means?" She's like, "There's so many <laughs> leaves in Oregon." I was like, "Yeah, dude, that's funny." She You're didn't she didn't really even know the symbols. Out. That's crazy. No, wow. and actually, like a a really, I think a turning point for her was when I pointed out that this Chinese buffet we used to go to, like when I was really little, um, was. It like went out of business a few years ago. and a dispensary took over, and they kept most of the architecture in oh, inside that's kind of like cool. the interior design. and it had like very like like the the restaurant itself had like really was like very ornately decorated. And they kept a lot of that old stuff in there. and she walked in. And I think, like something clicked in her brain where uh-huh. she was like, oh. This is like a legitimate thing. It was like a really pretty like store too, and we went. We like left with some like sleepy mints. So, wow, it's possible she went from not Asian even knowing
0: the what the leaf meant to mm-hmm. partaking in the mints. Yes,
1: that's amazing. And also like some finger wagging of like my Asian daughter should not be working in drugs. And I was like, okay, well this is how much the money, this is how how much money the industry is going to make in five years. And she's like, okay, Mm, she's not going to say anything then. (laughs) (laughs) I get it now. No, I'm glad you kind of
0: touched on like how kind of like just very conservative a lot of the Asian countries are because like I, I read that in January, Thailand became the first um or the only mm-hmm. southeastern asian country to decriminalize cannabis medical cannabis use is also legalized but just just to like decriminalize it in itself like they they just did that right like so yeah. it's it's a long way to go for a lot of these asian countries
1: yeah that's a huge deal um and that's Definitely not the case in China where my family is originally from. I would say that like so much of the anti-cannabis stigma like stemmed from China itself because it's obviously like the biggest geopolitical player in that Mm -hmm. region. But like even CBD is banned. And I learned this from my mom, too. You can't even like bring in or consume hemp seeds in China because like she puts hemp seeds in her smoothies every morning. And she was like, yeah, like if I brought, if I brought a bag of this for my mom, like back to China, customs would have confiscated it or like done something worse for me. So, some some hemp seeds. Yeah. So Jeez. it's like, it's so, it's just a different world. And I think that people need to like recognize that like it is so normalized in the US, but it is most definitely not the case in other parts of the world that even, that may even seem developed you know, to the ordinary person.
0: Right, right, right. Um, and I mean, I also kind of read somewhere, like if we're, we're talking about um, hemp, I read that in 2020, South Korea designated like a particular province I, I i don't know if i'm messing this name up gayungbuk as a regulation free zone for hemp so technically now mm-hmm. this is like the center of the country's cannabis industry this one this one area or province in south korea yeah
1: yeah hopefully um i think cbd is also like legal in some ca- some capacity in japan too so hopefully mm-hmm. cbd will be the avenue in because uh the asian asian community loves plant remedies it's very much in our culture so mm-hmm. hopefully that will be our way in
0: and also we just need to like we really need more asian representation um in the us specifically in, in the cannabis industry i mean i'm just looking at some of these stats and they're they're like hurting my head right now in 2017 according to cnbc 81% of marijuana business owners in the us were white 5.7% mm-hmm. were hispanic were black and get this only 2.4% were Asian. So we have a representation problem in here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, I, I hope at least that number has gone up by at least a little bit since 2017, because there are a lot of, there are more prominent Asian owned brands and like products out there now. So obviously there are, are brands like potley that is like fully Asian-owned, like Sumo Snacks, which is behind those infused Cool Ranch Doritos. It was yum. Mm. Um, everyone loves Sunday School. Sunday School is all over the internet. Also Asian-American-owned, Dolo Rolling, um, which is a cannabis lifestyle brand. So we're out there. I just think that, I don't know, maybe we're not as visible because – a lot of asian culture is about like not sticking out or like not mm-hmm. shooting your own horn and like that has a, its own place within like the countries where it originated in but in a professional setting it's not helping us and mm-hmm. like i know there are a lot of us after going to an event like potluck club
0: mhm
1: so you've seen it you're like okay we are out here
0: but there we we have a long way to go essentially yeah
1: yeah yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's on like the media to make more of an effort to amplify this issue. It's on like, you know, other established companies um, and brands to elevate other, you know, Asian-American entrepreneurs or executives. So mm-hmm. there's work to be done, but I think we're headed in the right direction.
0: Yes, for sure. And of course, as you know, members, new members of the media, uh, we want to play our part and highlight the Asian community in the cannabis space. So I'm so glad we got to have Ophelia and she agreed to come on at High Priority. So let's just jump in and talk to Ophelia Chong, founder of Asian Americans for Cannabis Education.
1: Welcome, Ophelia. You are widely regarded as a cannabis tastemaker, advocate, and entrepreneur. So as someone who's entered the industry during its earliest stages, can you give us an overview of your background and specifically how you went from being an art director to wearing so many hats in this space?
2: I love that question. And thank you so much for having me here. I've been a big admirer of your podcast. And of Aww. everyone there of material communications. Ah, so how, <laughs> that's interesting. How many hats? I think we, I've always, when I was teaching at Art Center, uh, I taught there for six years and I had to leave because of cannabis. But I told everyone that you're going to have at least six careers in your life. And, but each career is going to be built on the ones before that, right? You're going to take all those skills with you. And people in cannabis are doing that. They're taking their CPG skills, they're taking their accounting skills, all those things into cannabis. So really, when you're in cannabis, it's not, you're not starting from zero, you're starting from a wealth of information that you have within you to go into cannabis. Uh, Because I always tell people, if you're an accountant, learn cannabis. If you're a lawyer, learn cannabis. It is about bringing everything you have into this amazing industry, because they're we have so much to fill. And my previous background was, again, from photography to uh, publications to 10 years at Slam Dance, Sundance, T-I-L-A-I-F-F, uh, Outfest, too, for two years. So everything I ever did translated very well into cannabis, from event planning, from PR, from imagery to film. All this stuff came over into cannabis and became so useful. So. If you're going to come into this industry, you have a toolkit. You just don't realize how important it is. So uh, where I started, it's just about the same place everyone started. Somewhere out there, we're just taking everything into this new world.
1: Yeah. Mm Hmm. Yeah, that's so useful. And like, I know that you've translated a lot of this in your own consulting projects and, uh, through starting, uh, Asian Americans for Cannabis Education and you translated that photography into, um, you know, stock images, pot stock images. So I think it's like really fascinating to see this trajectory that you've been on.
2: Thank you. It's, uh, it's an amazing, everyone has a trajectory, trajectory. Uh, it's just how, what, how do you want to be shot out of the cannon or a catapult or just a tiny dip in the pool? Your, your path into this is how much risk you want to take and what your level of courage is, right? You can put a toe in, or you can just run right into that brick wall, flatten against it, slide <laughs> down, leave half your nose up there, but you're going to be happy.
0: Now, would you say you put your toe in it or you ran into a brick wall?
2: Oh, my God. I ran into the brick wall, uh, kind of chipped away at it, now crawling up over that brick wall uh, that we have. Because as you know, we're three women here. We're three women of color. That brick wall is a lot higher uh, in all mm-hmm. industries than for other other folks. And so sure. by slamming into that brick wall, it takes... Fortitude, but also a thick skin to get into mm-hmm. any industry and slam yourself into it. You'll have to learn a lot and not take anything personal.
0: Definitely understand that. I mean, well, while we're still on the point of you getting into the industry, um, obviously there are so many different entry points into cannabis, but why did you initially decide to go down the ancillary route versus the plant touching route?
2: That is a great question. Uh, for two reasons. One, I'm really good at images. Um, I started my career that way at Reagan um, by shooting multiple bands. And the first one is shoot is Lena's Morissette. I met her in a parking lot. Yeah. And we sat outside talking about her ex-boyfriends, her present boyfriends. I, I loved her album, but I didn't realize she was going to shoot off. So going from that to Uh, my entry point in cannabis is about imagery it's about how people see things from every Mm -hmm. independent film that we released to every image that we put out because here is the thing about images and why i chose that for cannabis we have iconic images in our head i can tell you the victory kiss you'll know it's the sailor kissing the nurse on the v-day right i can Mm -hmm. tell you napalm girl and you already know what that is in the historical connotations on that. Mm-hmm. Images are free of language. They are based on your internal knowledge of history, your emotional touch points. And so for, by entering cannabis, why I did was I saw the rampant racism and misinformation portraying people who use cannabis. Mm-hmm. One of the, biggest ones. What spurred me through was a billion dollar company that supplies images around the world. I looked up what stoner and the keywords that you're using. And still, this is the 21st century. The keywords for one image that I selected on an African-American man holding a joint was drug dealer, addict, criminal, Mm -hmm. all these words. Right. And keywords are how you find an image on a stock agency. So can you imagine someone typing in those words and getting that and go, okay, this billion dollar company is telling me that that is what that image is about and what that man is about. Mm -hmm. So I created stockpile images to hopefully chip away at that and present people, real people in cannabis. And doing that, I had to. Use my lawyer to create a model release. A model release is something you sign saying you are allowed to use my image uh, either for licensing or for a publication. It is you saying the model, you can use my image. I had people sign that black, brown, yellow, white. People holding a joint, using medicine, allowing their image to be bought and used for advertising. So that was my foray initial foray into cannabis. I did not touch a plant. The second reason was is also I am an alcoholic. I actually celebrate my 17 years of sobriety next week oh, and wow. on the 18th. Thank you. So but being part of uh, an al- alcoholic addict is that I looked at cannabis through those lens of misinformation. As I delved into it and learned more about it, I realized what I was fed was completely wrong. It's the plant medicine. And so in my head, I realized that, yes, I can use this as a medicine. I I am still aware that I have to be very careful about how much I use because I can obsess. So all I do now is uh, tincture at night to go to sleep and a dog walker. So those are um, nice Basically, major reason number one, racism, misinformation. Second one is I need to tell people this is a plant medicine and I am misinformed or was. Mm. Wow, that's an interesting
0: story. Thanks for sharing that um, to our audience. Uh, I also was curious, as someone with a bird's eye view of the cannabis space, what do you think are the greatest ancillary needs in this relatively mature market like California?
2: Great question. I think the ancillary needs are our research into better packaging. We mm-hmm. do have a couple, one great brand um, that does produce hemp packaging. However, it's, that is just a small, tiny percentage of what we're putting out there. I would like ancillary companies to discover better ways to package something. uh, Okay, we're packaging three buds into a glass jar with a plastic top inside a box. Mm -hmm. As most cannabis users know, you're going to open that jar, that three and a half grams is going to go into whatever you're going to do that day. Right? What happens to all that stuff? We are a plant medicine community polluting every landfill for money. And so Ancillary needs to change that, but also regulations need to smarten up, too. Why do we need a childproof thing on a Buds? (laughs) A kid's going to eat it, right? They're not going to go. There's not some five year old going to go. I'm going to roll this, you know, with my school homework and I'm gonna smoke a (laughs) giant blunt. So it is over overthinking everything. And so that I would like an ancillary It's better packaging and take that better packaging and lobby the each cannabis regs in every state. Can we do this in a more sane way? I will go into a drug uh, into a liquor store, Ooh, ha, boom, 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 right, flip top, really, right? And a kid mm-hmm. is gonna go to that first rather than a jar of buds, and, but there's no issue there. So mm-hmm. yes, that's what I would like to see. To answer your question, ancillary and packaging.
1: Makes sense. Interesting, yeah. Good point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the first time we've heard that response, and it makes total sense. Also, I personally hate child-proof packaging because I can't open half the shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm either YouTubing it or just cutting it open because I've given up. It's child-proof (laughs) and (laughs) (laughs) Chelsea-proof. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's that. Um, so you've also mentioned in previous interviews, going back to this like theme of education about how many other Asian families, not particularly your own, um, but they still harbor these negative views about cannabis use. Like my family is totally like the same way. A lot of other, you know, friends of mine, same deal. So like, how did these earlier experiences shape your own understanding of the plant? And what was your family's reaction when you eventually told them that you work in this industry
2: well i came from a family of chinese hippies
1: (laughs) oh that's so cool
2: (laughs) well in some ways yes other ways i was raised like a feral uh, (laughs) basically it was like who's got food in the neighborhood i'm going over there right um so i my the way i was raised i can't really gauge on that um and i have caught my parents smoking weed but um (laughs) I have been asked to help not lobby because I, I don't have a license, but to help educate certain communities in certain areas. Like say, for instance, there's this a large, well-known chain of dispensaries in San Francisco, and they were going for a license in a heavily Asian area. They were having a lot of blowback because the Asians going, no, no, think of the children, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, someone else got the license, uh, but it still happened. And also, I worked in a small city in L.A. trying to educate the locals to the Asian locals on what cannabis is. And we did panels and things, et cetera, et cetera. The reason why Asians, especially Chinese, are against cannabis is because of our, our <laughs> President Nixon. To get into the U.N., the Chinese, China had to adopt our schedule one, because Nixon went on a rant just basically to arrest everybody. And so that was one of the conditions. So they adopted it because before that, China was using in that area, you know, if we're not looking at borders for 10,000 years, right? It might not be as strong as what we have now because it's used as an anesthetic, probably what they were growing back then, maybe hit 5%, 10%. We're not, not hitting 37% like we are now, on flour or a hundred percent on distillate. So it was more, uh, it was just a non-genetic, it's just a genetic plant that no one messed with. So we used it. Once China adopted that, that became the propaganda that spread out through Asia, right? However, the tide is changing and Thailand is uh, now illegal. Korea, South Korea is thinking about it, but, with that indoctrination in China, it was, so your children are going to be drug addicts. They're not going to look after you because in China, Chinese philosophy or Confucian, the children always looks after the parents. So the parents raise kids with good jobs so that they can then move into the kids and the, the kids will look after them till they die. So Chinese thinking, if my kid's a stoner, we'll never be looked after. We're going to die in poverty. So this whole mess of propaganda just spun um that drugs will take you to hell drugs will make your children criminals and not you won't be supported so it's is this mindset um so what i found was also there were certain groups religious groups who were very anti but they they had laminated cards with their own speaking points at every city council that I sat in. He asked the same question: "What about the children?" But every time I heard that, I think, "Girlfriend, we're selling to your kids, right?" <laughs> or your your kids are actually hiding that stuff somewhere. So really, you're not going to get too far with this. So basically, that is why it was it's it was political. It was propaganda. And it was not about the medicine. Why Asians are so fearful of cannabis and everything else because we were taught to we were taught to for political and economic reasons not for anything else
1: wow Mm. i totally did not make that nixon connection at all i thought it was more of like an honor shame i'm sure honor shame society plays some role in that as well um i have like a very core memory from like when i was a teenager like jackie chan's son got arrested for like marijuana possession or something in Hong Kong and it was like all over the Chinese news. And I remember my dad being like, don't you ever like be like this? Like your, your life's going to go down the shitter or whatever. So like, obviously when I got a job in cannabis, I like didn't tell him. So like, <laughs> I totally see it's just, it's so rampant and like all of this totally makes sense.
2: And and the thing is if you ask them, where's the logic in that? And they can't mm-hmm. explain it to you because it's just what i heard it's what i was taught when i was growing up blah 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 But the thing is so it's only a, a small only the last two generations right from 1976 um that was born into that
1: yeah and also just like the the level of like functional alcoholism in so many eastern asian families it's like don't talk about the kids when like your dad is straight up an alcoholic. I don't even want to get into it, but I'm like, this is such a bullshit, like talking point.
2: The salary man in, in Japan. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, and every Korean. Okay. We were all stuck in COVID. I watched a lot of Korean cereals. <laughs> Holy crap. Everyone's a drinker. Right. Yeah. And uh, so yes. And then again, let's go back to our, your child proofing question. Why is one demonized? And the other one is just, whoop, we can just leave it open, right? Um, and it is because of politics. Yeah, no,
0: that's very true. And I'm, I'm glad we have you on the show to kind of debunk a lot of these myths and stereotypes. And since we're on this category of challenging existing stigmas, how do initiatives like Stockpock Images and Asian Americans for Cannabis Education drive more constructive conversations around cannabis use?
2: Uh Thank you, Alexis. So what I get is like, you're Asian, right? <laughs> oh, and also when I started probably, uh, I'm not sure how long you guys have been in this industry, but you know, when you walk into a room, there ain't many of us, right? And so when I initially in 2015, which is not that long ago, I walk into rooms, you know, you go to the conferences, you're going to in your lanyard, you go, hey, hey, what's happening? And then you're like, oh, man, you're all white, <laughs> right?
1: Yep. <laughs> and- that was my first Andre BizCon.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. And then when you see somebody who looks like either one of you, you're like, yeah, you're running over and going, hey, tell me what you're doing here. And it's probably one of the first times we weren't asked, hey, can you tell me where the bathroom is or when is dinner ready, right? So <gasps> it is. it was uh, my presence in cannabis i feel is um it's okay ophelia's in it you know she's an old lady with kids and she's got a (laughs) grandkid so if she's doing it then you know it should be okay Uh, so Mm -hmm. i want to be able to show that oh my god i hate using that word but normal right that Mm uh we look we are just human and it's we're We're not that stereotype that they expect us to be. Unfortunately, that stereotype is a comedic joke, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, In every film. And that's how some Asian parents see people who smoke weed, like Seth Rogen, right? Mm -hmm. Or any other character in a film um, that has to be using cannabis, but they never make anything about someone being drunk, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So they don't pick that up. Uh, so, going back to your question, <laughs> what mm-hmm. I wanted to do with those two companies is try to expand the the color spectrum. Mm-hmm. Because even in a stock pot, I worked out what the ethnic breakdown of my all my photographers were, right? It was evenly split between men and women. And then what was really interesting was the ethnic breakdown was almost parallel to what the population of states are. It had. Big chunk of, you know, white folk and then Latinos, African-Americans and Asians. So it was very diverse. Um, of course, why I probably had more um, white photographers is because they weren't they didn't weren't traumatized by mm-hmm. cannabis in their own lives. Right. Uh, from Asians, we have a different trauma. Black and brown, completely different trauma. So to ask them to go shoot weed, to photograph, you're thinking, just be careful, right? Don't be too apparent because if I had a white guy there and a black guy there, they're going to arrest a black guy for shooting. The white guys go, ah, homies, how's it going? So that is also part of the problem too of cannabis is that by us three being present, we show that we are here and come on in right we become the the guides to everyone after us
0: Mm -hmm. and outside of us just i guess showing up and doing this podcast and educating people like how would you say are like the other tactful ways that we can start candid conversations about cannabis with our family especially being um people you know that are bipoc like how do how do we how do we do that
2: Ooh, that's a really, uh, I don't think there's a single answer. You basically have to go through family therapy, right? (laughs) Who, who, That's real. (laughs) Yeah. Of your parents, which one do you talk to the most? Honestly, right? That's the one I would Mm -hmm. go to first. Or which one of your siblings are you closest to that you talk most honestly with? And then Mm -hmm. you start building what you would call your allies. So always go for the easiest ones first convince mm-hmm. them and then they will help you convince the rest but here's one thing that usually convinces most family members how much money is in the business that usually That's trumps true. everything yeah. and i <laughs> That's very don't want to use that word but it ignore it because in <laughs> in asians when you tell them this is how much the ancillary company is making like for instance one very amazing top flight battery pen company they just sold for 6.2 million owned by two Asian American men. Right. So when you see that, you go, Oh, wait a (laughs) minute. Maybe there's something not so bad about this.
1: Right. And so,
2: (laughs) yeah. So when you put it in, in a form of economics, people change because Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're flipping them into, Oh, you can make money from this. It's legal. So,
1: it kind
2: of the little dominoes
1: start floating across mm-hmm. i totally agree i think my dad's in was definitely the stock market mm-hmm. um and then for my mom it was like the wellness side because you know moms always want to get their beauty sleep and i'll be like just <laughs> take this mint it's fine it's their cbn it's it's you're, gonna, you're not gonna That's get it. addicted it's, <laughs> it's fine and like seriously th- those are the two avenues so totally agree what the financial avenue. I feel like dad's a little butt. It's exactly
2: the sure. same thing my my parents, my dad started investing in Canopy in 2015 and nice. then a couple other uh, ones and he said, "Oh, this is amazing! <laughs> and so the second year he cashed out some of his stocks and he said, we're all going on vacation, right? So they saw all of a sudden, wait a minute. Okay, first you got to flip on the light. It's legal wherever it is. And then the next then you, once you flip on the light, you show them all the furniture in there. This is what mm-hmm. it bought, right? Legally, I'm paying taxes on this. This is supporting me. And eventually, will support you in the future. So that's when to flip the switch. It is when you start going. I'm smoking weed. No, I'm making money. And
1: then mm-hmm.
2: with weed, <laughs> it's a great step.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, good game plan. Um, so I know that. Uh, Asian-American representation uh, is pretty, you know, widespread in a number of lucrative high growth sectors like tech, finance, medicine, but not so much within the cannabis industry. Um, what do you think is driving this lack of res- representation and how can the industry attract more Asian-American talent? I I don't think there's a lack. They just don't know about us.
2: Right. We're not that uh, Say, For instance, at potluck. Like the first mm-hmm. one, I had a guest list of only 46. At the end of the night, I had 98. Right? Wow. second one, it was 140. And there were all Asians in in the cannabis industry. And plus, what was interesting, I had a lot of non-Asians. Can we come too? And I thought, well, if you're Asian adjacent and you're a supporter, then yes, you can come. Right. Um, I don't think people know realize how many of us are in the industry from CMOs to VPs, to CEOs, to research. right? look at Vertosa, I mean, there's so many companies headed up by Asians, Meadow, Trees, uh, in, in tech, uh, iHeartJane. It, it is inc- leafly, right? We don't look, right? We only see what's put in front of us. And what's put in front of us are is MedMen or any other company that is, is those dudes, right? Those dudes need to say, oh yeah. And right next to me is blank, 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 right? There's even Shabinsky, Stephen Kim came from Burger King. right? So we're here. We're just maybe invisible to people.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, cause even like we work, um, on agrify and that is a a huge business that's ancillary that is also run by an asian man so yeah it's like age the asian population is there but how can we work to make sure that people are paying attention right so i'm glad you know we have you on here to kind of talk through this with us um and just going further into this like what advice do you have for any of the Asian American listeners that we have who are interested in cannabis, but are on the fence and not sure where to start? That's really
2: interesting. Uh, First would be, what are they on the fence about? Right. Um, Because there's so many, what we just spoke about, family, uh, Mm -hmm. risk, risk factor. uh, how will I fit in? So there's a lot of thinking because i work with a lot of asians who came from finance uh, and are trying to go for licenses or anything well um you can't say my name on ace but i'm doing this uh, or can you take can you um take my interview down because i think my parents are going to see it so there's still a little bit of stigma in there but however to get more of us out there is to gather but also Minorities are invisible. When we walk into a room, we're invisible. Unless we're in a big cluster, right? Because then there's a bunch of us and we walk in and go, oh, look at that cluster of whatever (laughs) over there. You know, what's happening? If we're just a lone female color walking around, basically we're invisible. They All all these dudes want to talk to that dude over there or that dude runs this thing or that. Um, Women aren't the first one. Oh, I need to talk to her. Right. Because it's always looking, it's a hierarchy of male first, and then we're all slapping down here. It's because, Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a woman who's a minority. What could she own? Right. What's she doing here? Um, So it is more not educating our groups is basically educating everyone else out there, our value. Right. And Mm -hmm. overlooking that, the, sort of getting beyond your visual biases
1: Mm. and yeah and speaking of just like the importance of coming together through events like potluck club which i was like fortunate enough to join um in la a few weeks ago super cool but like when you first thought of the idea what kind of networking experience were you trying to create and what can attendees expect from future gatherings
2: Oh, okay. So we three have all been to a lot of events, right? Mm-hmm. All that stuff, and um, in the early days of cannabis, it always started sound bath, yoga, speakers, all this stuff, right? And so you got to truck through all that, but really, you're all there for networking, right? So what I learned is to we don't do any of that. Uh, it says free reign. Everyone get in there. It's a mosh pit. Introduce yourself. Find people. Um because it is about gathering and networking. If you throw in too many elements in there like, oh, we have three speakers tonight. So everyone shut up and listen, right? It doesn't work because no one ever listens. Um, <laughs> and it, everyone just wants to meet everyone, everyone networks. So our events are just big, happy things. It's come on in, talk to someone, meet someone and, and look, you can meet someone new. The funny thing, okay, this is very short, someone who went to potluck and said, Oh, I, I talked to this one guy and he has a co-packing place. I think his name is James. And I said, Well what else can you give me well he's Asian? And oh my I, God. I said and he <laughs> and, and he's got a round face. Oh, uh, no. I said, oh
0: wow. Oh no I said, Girl,
2: I said girlfriend, we all have round faces. And we're all Asian that <laughs> night. Can you give me a little bit more a hint? And yeah. she
1: goes, I know, that I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, also just like the number of like James Lees, James Kims, I know. That's <laughs> <laughs> just not helpful. No, but
2: that is, the, but on a flip side, that is the most amazing thing because in a normal thing, it'd be like there was a black dude there or there was an Asian guy. Oh yeah, that was the only one there. Mm. So we we know, right? But mm-hmm. the, the, the fun part of it is that, they're all like that, right? Mm-hmm. We never get to say that. Which one? So I found that funny, but also very um, heartwarming because we all are together and we we all are, have our experiences, but there's none like, oh, that, there was that one Chinese guy there. What's his name? Wahoo? <laughs> yeehaw? What was it? Oh no, he had a, so it's it was amazing to think. Which one? Like there were so yeah. many.
1: Can I just say that when I like got there for the first ten minutes, I didn't know what to do with myself because I'm so used to being like one of three Asians in like a networking thing. And I was like, I have not been around so many people who <laughs> look like me since like high school. I don't like, what do I do with my hands? How do I talk? Like, <laughs> who do I, where do I start? It was, it was a little jarring almost. And I don't, I wonder if like other people who go to these events, like experience the same thing, but I felt like so encouraged by the end. Cause I was like, Oh my God, there's so many of us. Like I always thought I was like the only one.
2: It was really amazing. Cause we found there were so many women creators. Right. Right with drinks, chips, all kinds of things. And you kind of wonder, do white people experience this when they go into a room full of white people? <laughs> it's like, I, because it's... Doubt but, it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so it, it's, um, it's very interesting and very fun. And since we only had two, we just keep growing. And it's amazing how many more people are just coming out of the woodwork because it's a safe space. It is going mm-hmm. to a place where everyone knows who you are Probably some of your culture or heritage because they experience it the same, and they're not going to ask you where the best fall places, right? <laughs> oh, <So, laughs> oh, god, is that question again. <laughs> well, I'm not beating my knees, but I can tell you what I like. So, um, yes. Oh, that is.
0: I think it'll be refreshing the day when we all can say we enter into a, a space and everyone, you know, can't pinpoint the one black person the one asian person the one indian person that 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 is a dream right one day um and since we're on lack of diversity let's just continue that um lack of diversity remains obviously a huge issue in the industry um but how can asian owned companies and organizations make this space more accessible to all minority communities and are there any particular brands or organizations that have stood out on this front.
2: Oh, uh, Imelda from Pure Beauty. Mm-hmm. It, I believe, her company is either seventy-five or eighty percent female. Also, wow. it is on the full. Uh, it is Benetton Colors. There, there's a bit of everybody in that in that office. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is what you were talking about. What you just said, Alexis, going into a room and it's not this one da-da-da, it is this whole encompassed ecosystem of people. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I think cannabis is more open to that because I've seen um, initiatives to hire people of color in cannabis, but also maybe not enough either. Uh, That's going back to Chelsea's question, how can we bring more people in? Because we need those skills. We need the marketing, we need the CPG, Um, also sales, Mm -hmm. CRMs, PLs. A lot of these candidates companies, when they first opened, did not even have that. So there are a lot of skills that need to be brought in to to guarantee these companies' future. Because if they don't have any of that, how are they going to run it and how do they get investment? Uh, So we do need more people who have those skills and are... Just look at cannabis as an industry. It's just a commodity, right? Um, they mm-hmm. don't necessarily. Some people say you have to smoke to be in this industry, but do you have to be an alcoholic to be an alcohol? I don't know. Or maybe mm-hmm. do you have to drink right. to be an alcohol? Maybe yes, I can see that. But um, I think it's a very it's a litmus test that was done very early in the industry. If you don't smoke, we don't trust you because that's basically a narc, right? A narc wouldn't mm-hmm. so. Now, I think it is you don't necessarily have to smoke, you just have to have really kick ass skills to get that company into the block.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah. And when you're either seeking out talent or like trying to build that network, um, when you first started out, um, what qualities did you look for in potential business partners or just like other peers in the industry that you wanted to connect with?
2: I connected with a lot of women. I gravitated to women because we had shared footing. All right, we're entering an industry where we didn't know where it's going to go, and also it was was it expanding? Is it closed? What is it? So I really gravitated to mostly women founders, and that's where I stayed in the industry. They they were my muses, they were my inspiration, they were my support group, and they all became amazing friends. I've found in this industry, I've built more relationships with women that I know are going to be a lifetime than any other ones that I've been in. Mm. I'm not sure it's because they decided to go into cannabis and take that little bit of a risk. Maybe it was, because then they will risk more in their relationships. Mm. So I'm trying to equate that, but um, it is about being with women in this industry. I found them to be the most supportive And Mm -hmm. very little sort of with men, it was just always odd. I mean, I I work with a lot of men, but it is. I'm not sure how to describe that. I just found a simpler language with women. We cut to the chase with men. There was Mm -hmm. a little bit more, but also to I didn't need to be taken care of, but men seem to have this maybe in their genetics that oh I'm going to help that little lady.
1: Like, all right. So I took advantage of that, too. <laughs> okay. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> I guess the lesson is just to find people who are on your same wavelength and just to trust your gut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's
2: nothing for us to go on. We're such a nascent industry. Um, mm-hmm. um, the community itself is hundreds of years old, but the industry is so new that... Mm-hmm. We don't know that many people have longevity, right? Hmm. Be, longevity is 10 years. We're not there yet.
0: We will be. We'll be soon. But yes, you're right. We're not, we're not quite there. Um, and also as someone who's watched the industry right out of its highs and lows, what do you believe determines a cannabis startup's long-term success?
2: Uh, this goes back to our uh, one of the earlier questions. Who would come into this? So I would hire the best accountant. I would Mm. hire the best COO. Uh, I would hire someone who has sales ability in another industry similar, say tobacco or liquor, who understands Mm. distribution. I would not hire friends because they're fun, because eventually (laughs) your friends will start, will end up suing each other. You hire people who know what they're doing. You, uh, You work with them. You don't live and eat with them. You just, you need a team that works. You don't need a team of bros. Uh, And so I would do a deep search for all those Mm -hmm. people who know what they're doing. like, say, for instance, Stephen Kim at um, the CEO of Scherbinski's. He was international for Burger King. He knows how to open. He knows how to create new products. And he knows how to sell it in different countries and different tastes. So same with weed, the East Coast loves gassy and diesel, right? Right now in California, we're ending the fruity space phase. We're probably going to go back to OGs, but uh, understanding the taste profiles and how fast they can change is something also that you need to hire someone for, and that's not necessarily someone in cannabis. Someone who just knows their research can call can knows where to dig up this info. And, and that's people who were in other industries and agencies, Diageo, um, any Huge CPG, yeah, health and beauty. Mm,
0: I love that. That's a really good um, insight for us.
1: Yeah, don't hire your friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've we've heard that from other people too. So I, th- I think I think you're onto something there. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a personal
0: story with that where I've actually met someone at an event in Miami, it was a tech event in Miami. And he was telling me that he's suing, it was three uh, co-founders and he's suing the other, one of the co-founders who is also in a romantic relationship with the other co-founder. And now they're no longer best friends. So messy, messy situation. I love mess. <laughs> um,
2: Very messy. no. There's Very so nice. many stories of companies imploding like that, mm. and uh, yeah, Theranos is one of them. Right? You don't sleep with your
1: your CEO. <laughs> Good point. Well. Now that we have gotten the serious questions out of the way, we are going to dive into I Got Five on it, where we ask the fun questions. Uh, so these are rapid fire questions. Um, and just let us know when you're ready. Um, so if you could infuse any, uh sorry, if you could infuse cannabis into any food or drink, what would it be? Toothpaste. Toothpaste. Oh, wow. What's the next way
0: answer? Toothpaste.
2: Okay. How would that work?
0: Well,
2: would you eat it? You, no, you, well, basically, you're brushing your teeth, maybe like Sensodyne, <laughs> that toothpaste, right? That's for people yeah. sensitive tooth. If you have THC in there, you're just getting a little bit of infusion directly into your gums, it's sublingual, and it'll make you brush your teeth more.
1: Okay. That's an incentive to brush my teeth.
2: Okay. You I might like be it. onto
1: something. I hate brushing my teeth. So maybe that yeah, it's not fun. You can do it.
2: Can you imagine standing there for half hour? Like, ah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. With your oral B going, yeah, this is good.
0: <laughs> I would have like the, like the cleanest teeth in the world. I, and okay. then maybe you can expand to floss. I like how you think. <laughs> Aha! I love it. All right. Next question. What is your ideal setting to enjoy cannabis?
2: My backyard, at the end of a long day, my treat is to have a little dog walker and I sit outside my backyard. But girls, I discovered, don't ask me how, on Amazon, there was uh, a a hot tub that was discounted from 600 bucks to 388. It's a blow up one. And it's got a heater and it's got bubbles. And I thought, this is the price of what someone would pay for shoes. So I bought myself a hot tub oh, and because oh, normally nice. I don't buy anything for myself. So now I go sit out in that hot tub at night, smoke a joint, go wow. in the bubbles like this. That's vibe. And <laughs> pull vibe. And then I put solar lights all around it, twinkly ones, the ones oh. that change colors. So when I'm in my hot tub, I am traveling the universe. So that is what I do at the end of the day with a little dog walker. One, oh, the other day I, I dropped it accidentally. So... <laughs>
1: well yeah you should you should see if they sell like inflatable ash trees i feel like it's (laughs) counterintuitive but it must exist it must exist somewhere yeah yeah,
2: oh well they have inflatable beer holders so you just put a tray on top ah perfect there you go
1: there we go i love that Mm
2: -hmm. but now like i need to know Mm
0: -hmm. is this hot tub like just a hot tub for one or can Mm -hmm. multiple
2: join uh, in oh my god in the picture online, they photoshopped four people into the picture. <laughs> There's hella, and the photoshop is really weird because they all had different angles on them, but they were all sliced <laughs> in. And I was in the hot tub. And I was like, hell no way you can get four people in there. Maybe four really vertically challenged people in here. Um, two small people or just one happy Asian. So right now it's just the one happy Asian.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, well, yeah. <laughs> I think that's fine because if it's you time, then it should just be you in that hot. Tub. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag
1: self-care. Yeah. There mm-hmm. we go. Literally the definition of self-care. Um, what is next question? What is your biggest cannabis related pet peeve? Packaging. Probably. Uh, yeah.
2: Cause uh, we're, we deal with it every day, right? We we're in the dispensaries. We're looking at it or samples come down and you're going, God damn rip rip. What the hell? And then it's like printed inside, printed outside. And then it, I, 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 I took one edible package once and then, okay, the instructions are squeeze with two fingers here, squeeze with your finger down here, and then pull, right? And I'm thinking, ah, uh, wait a minute, right? So
1: <laughs> cleaver is coming out,
2: <laughs> doing this, like pulling. It. And finally, I just got so mad. I took out my Chinese cleaver, yep. I took it outside and I just chopped it in half. <laughs> and then I just poured everything out because who's got, okay. If you're trying to sell this to old people and saying you, you need to go to sleep and stuff, I mm-hmm. would take the package, open it for grandma, put it in a jar for her and give it to her. Totally. It is, um, it is babysitting adults. <laughs> um, we, um, uh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, can you imagine, uh, a wine snob having to put two thumbs on one side of the mm-hmm. rim and then a thumb on top and then pushing down at the same time counterclockwise. No, it, no way. You would never do it. That. that would never work. Uh-huh. No. So that's my
0: pet. And, and I would literally throw the bottle away like I'm done. Mm-hmm. Actually, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, next question If you could smoke with any celeb, dead or alive, who would it be and why?
2: Oh, that's such a good question. um for some reason, Mao Zedong came up in my head. I don't know oh my why. God. <laughs> I know. Okay, wait. Um, who Who is this person? Oh, Mao like cha- is
1: like Chairman Mao.
2: Yeah, of China. He's basically the oh. Great March. He kicked out the uh, the other group. Basically, he created China and also starved thirty million of them at the Great yeah. Leap Forward. He's
1: Ford. on so, all the money.
2: Yeah. Oh, um, god. And it. his wife okay. is part of the Gang of Four. So I would sit down with him probably and ask him not about weed or anything, but just, uh, well, how do you think your country turned out? <laughs> because, mm. uh, damn, it's 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 a uh, it's a schizophrenic country. We flip from one to the other, uh, but manage to keep everyone in tow, which is yeah. But then again, that says a lot about Asian culture: is that we just are lockstep. Because we like things to be comfortable and we don't want things to change and we don't want to take that risk, which is why, again, going back to that genetic makeup, why a lot of Asians aren't in cannabis, because we like the status quo. Mm. If we have food every day, we got gas in our car and I got my apartment, I'm not going to have to change anything, right? So um, China will stay the way it is. Um, But also Chinese people going into cannabis, you have to really change their mindset about what a status quo is
1: so mm, fair mm, interesting mm. for what it's worth my parents still get cctv like the chinese state-run tv um on one of their like new year shows they had like a hologram of mao like tupac style oh, so maybe mao. you could like smoke weed and talk to the mao hologram <laughs> down <the line. laughs> uh,
2: a side note i used to be a tour guide in china so I used to take
1: oh people God. back Oh, my God.
2: And when uh, we went to the mausoleum, Ch- Chairman Mao's mausoleum, and he's displayed there. I mean, he's yeah. not anymore because he's falling apart. But in the early years, <laughs> you, would, you would go in and be really respectful because it's dark, it's lit, all the guards, you know, the red guards there, very respectful. You can of walk by. You can't laugh. You can't giggle. You can't talk anything. Tr- 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 mm. think, oh, my God. He looks like a piece of plastic fruit. Right. <laughs> And you're walking by. So that was my, that's the closest I got to uh, a dead plastic fruit chairman
1: mouth. Ew. <laughs> not too shabby. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, last question. What is your go-to high snack? Oh, Not snack? plastic fruit. <laughs> yeah, please. Oh. No.
2: Oh, one of my favorite edibles? Is that the
1: question? Oh, no, like your favorite, like, munchie. Like, what's your favorite thing to eat when you're high? Oh, uh probably cookies because that's the easiest thing
2: mm-hmm. to grab um mm-hmm. i'm not a big pizza person or mm-hmm. i just like little bites um or let's see what do i or fruit it's really weird i love fruit so i eat mm-hmm. a lot of oranges i think there's maybe nice. asian too because we always had <laughs> eight apples and oranges in there uh we bring them people's houses and danish blue tin butter cookies oh my god
0: <laughs> wow that's a throwback <laughs>
2: Someone actually gave me a box because I was making fun of it so much, but I actually ate them. <laughs> but they didn't. are so good. They, yeah. Well, in this tin, the favorite ones I had were the shortcake ones with the little currants in there. Yes. This box didn't have them, right? So I <gasps> opened the box and I go, I finally no. get to eat this fucking shit beaten out of me by my mother. <laughs> and I go, there's no current ones in here. Those oh, are the best. Devastating. Yeah.
0: Oh. cut. Cool. I'd be just as yeah. obsessed, right. so. Good mix, good good mm-hmm. choices. Well, before we let you go, one, I want to give you an opportunity to highlight any Asian-owned brands that you really support, that you really feel like need some love, um, that are in the cannabis space.
2: Sumo Snacks, T S U M O Snacks, Cat Caroline Yee's uh, product, Day uh, Day Lim Sunday School, of course, um, also. Asian-owned, all I Heart Jane. Um Oh my word, who else Asian brands do I love? Uh, oh, Potley! Fel- Felicity. Oh, yeah. yeah. One of the reasons I love that one is because she's totally supported by her mom and dad because they produce mm-hmm. sauces. Um. And so she went to them and they helped her formulate. So her right. sriracha sauces, her infused uh, shrimp chips, Oh my god, those shrimp chips are! I've heard are, amazing things.
1: Oh, I know, yeah.
2: girl, you can't. This unfortunate thing, you can only eat a couple because they are totally. <laughs> and that's the only thing about edible bowls. I don't like because oh, I would take the bag of her edible chips and mm-hmm. I put them in a bag. I mix them with real uninfused, so
1: that way when you're eating, them, oh smart! Yes,
2: so you might get the lucky chip.
1: I uh, like that. Very smart. Uh, yeah, tasty. I tried those sumo snacks chips at the potluck club thing. The, the cool ranch ones. Oh my God. Delicious. What do you want? They're so good. I'm, I know. And you can eat the whole bag. It's, it's not like the one chip is like 10 milligrams. I thought that was so smart. That's, that's where it needs to go. Yeah. Oh my God. I need to get <laughs> high.
0: That too. That too. Um, and also I know our listeners, they're, they're going to want to reach out to you. They're going to want to contact you. So what's the best way that they can find you and Asian Americans for cannabis education?
2: Oh, perfect. Uh, Asians for cannabis. It's our Asian Americans for cannabis.org and askophilia.com.
0: Wonderful. Yay! Mm-hmm.
1: Thanks, Ophelia, for joining us. Oh, you're welcome.
2: Or, Such and, an honor. or you can contact me to come to the next
1: potluck. Yes, go. It's it. so much fun. <laughs> and they have all kinds of fun products you can try. Thanks again for listening to High Priority. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to Antoine Dry, Donald Edwards, and Jim Pryor from Dirty Soap Entertainment for our intro music. To learn more about our show and parent company, Matteo Communications, head on over to our website at matteo.com. That's M A T T I O.com.